Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Donald Trump wants to create jobs in the U.S. by cutting taxes. And his assumption is obviously that uh, if he puts more money into people's pockets, that's going to increase their spending power. So they buy more things. And in so doing, they create more jobs. But isn't that counter to how many economists see the world? They believe that actually supply creates demand. If you create jobs, people have money to buy things and that creates demand. So which comes first, supply or demand? Obviously, there's a bit of a circle involved. But if the circle isn't moving fast enough, which one do you need to give a nudge to? Well, let's ask Professor Steve Keen for his view on this. Is Trump right? More money in the pocket will create more jobs? This is the the uh, the ultimate chicken and egg question, as it you is. say, in economics. And um, uh, mainstream economics, uh, its reference point is, uh, as our dear old little bloke called Jean-Baptiste Say. Uh, and... Uh, French, well, clearly, clearly French, and a great fan of Adam Smith. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, but, uh, ironically, had a theory of economics which is completely the opposite of the theory of economics that Smith had. Uh, became a correspondent of Ricardo's, and Ricardo equally had a completely opposite theory of economics. But they both, he, uh, Ricardo accepted Say's argument that supply creates demand. And this is that's that's the side that of the the mainstream way of thinking. Along comes Donald, and he's now saying effectively the demand creates supply. Yet again, <laughs> because the mainstream anything a mainstream economist believes, the simplest thing to do is believe the opposite. And in this case, Donald's right. Demand creates supply in a monetary economy because we live in a monetary economy. And this vision of supply creating demand is a barter economy vision of, of how the world operates. And the, 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 the change is enormous. So it's worth talking about this one in detail. Right. OK. So, look, I, I, I've been in business for a long time. And uh, one of the great dangers in, in business is this idea of, and particularly in technology businesses, of mm. uh, build it and they'll come. Yeah, uh, and uh, so to, to me, it seems completely counter to logic because you spend a lot of money, and you can't assume that customers are going to, you know, you build something that people want rather than mm-hmm. create create something and assume people are going to buy it. And yet, oh. it seems like you know the uh, you know that 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 old theory that you're talking about from economists is built around that. I mean, pure and simple, build it and they'll come, but they won't yeah. if they don't want yeah. it. Yeah, I mean this, and this is because what you're actually after is money. And the ironic thing, if you look actually at Say's original arguments about this, saying supply creates its own demand, he actually said merchants don't want money. No, they don't want money. They're after the goods and services they can buy. Right. Uh, so therefore, you can ignore the money thing completely. And he actually said, for it is not for it is not um, desired in ordinary circumstances to conceal it. We do not consume money, and it is not desired in ordinary circumstances to conceal it. What a load of bollocks! <laughs> Well, we, uh, but, anyway, we, we do, but we do we want don't, we, we do want money, but we want money for what we can do with it. No, well, that's partly where the error comes in. We 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 actually want money because we want money. If you look at a capitalist economy, what people are at is accumulating. Is they want to die with as many as one of my great old lecturers, uh, Ted Wilwright, used to say that there's the, the, there's a golden rule in capitalism: he who has the gold makes the rules, and the person who dies with the most gold wins. 
And in the, in that basis, so you know, there's no way that Donald, well, Donald Trump possibly could, uh, but there's no way that uh, Bill Gates, for example, could consume everything he's worth now, roughly a hundred billion dollars. Uh, before his death in any conceivable fashion in which he enjoyed any of the benefits of that consumption activity. Right. He's going to die with the most gold, therefore he wins. And and the idea that we don't want the money and we, and we don't try to conceal it, for God's sake, you try asking a Donald Trump what, what his tax returns and income levels are right and cash levels are right now. So it, it says original propositions were an utter load of bollocks, but they just made this point that if you, if you supply it, they will come in the sense that if you make lots and lots Lots of uh, microphones. You want to sell them all, so you dump them on the market to get whatever exchange rate you can get in terms of chancing across uh, exchanging somebody else's apples, apple output or pig output, and and that's the basis of sales logic. But the reality is, uh, unless people have got money they go okay to buy you're not going to sell those microphones and so the actual the demand is the originator it's the expenditure creates income not the other way around and i can give it's not simple for radio but i can give a fairly simple illustration of this uh, people might be getting a headache if they try this maybe pull over if you're in a car listening at the moment <laughs> can i can i give it a try yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay. we're, we're okay. all ears just yep. draw up a three by three like a little i imagine you've got a what do they call that game a sudoku yeah, you're throwing up Sudoku, but it's three by three rather than nine by nine. So it's you know much much simpler. And on on the rows you've got uh, you know, Fred, uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry. And on the columns you've got Tom, Dick, and Harry. And where Tom and Tom meet up, that's what Tom spends on Dick and Harry. So if you have a like, if you're spending a hundred thousand dollars a year on Dick and Harry, then there's a minus a hundred thousand where where Tom and Tom intersect. And then for Dick, Tom and Dick and Tom and Harry on that row, it's a plus 40 for Tom, for, for Dick, and plus 60 for Harry, the rows necessarily sum to zero. Yeah. Uh, and you do the same thing for Dick and the same thing for Harry, and you've got a three-by-three three where the diagonal tells you what the spending is. It's got a negative sign, and the horizontal tells you where the money is spent. That's the positive sign. One is expenditure, the other is income. Now, on the, you actually add up each of the columns. What you're saying is what's the difference between what Tom is spending and what he's earning from Dick and Harry? And if you all start off as balanced, so, you know, you're, you're spending a hundred thousand on on them and they're effectively spending the same on you you get three sets of zeros so nobody's saving money yeah. now if somebody in that group wants to save and it's say tom wants to save money by cutting his spending from a hundred thousand to ninety uh then what's going to happen is that his his little negative box goes from minus 100 to minus 90 hoping that his other two remain uh, go up to 10. But because he's spending $10,000 less on Dick and Harry, they're earning $10,000 less. Mm. What's actually gone down is income. Not So in the aggregate, the income falls by the amount somebody tries to save. Right. So okay, the expenditure drives income. And that situation, if you don't have the money being generated, and that's where the role of banks and governments come in and creating money that enables to spend, unless that's being spent, you won't get the income in the first place. So expenditure does drive income. Right. So uh, putting it another way, saving is, you know, savings is a, is a leakage to the system, isn't it? Everything's going around in the circle. If see, I t- if see, I- this is the other great myth. I mean, people... Th- People talk about saving, and the thing is, Tom could actually save money out of that. Okay, Tom's expenditure could fall by more than the impact on Tom's income was affected. So Tom, by doing that exercise, could have, you know, the the the, the um, 
spending goes down to ninety thousand, the income could go with, with spending was a hundred thousand, income was ninety was a hundred thousand. Then he goes to spend ninety, maybe his income falls to ninety five, and he saves five thousand dollars more in money in his individual account. But there's when you start with this model, you've got to, if you start with a set amount of money in the economy, you cannot generate that more money out of Tom, Dick, and Harry. It takes either a bank off to one side or a government off to the other, injecting money in for actual aggregate amount of money to change. So the idea that we because we can save at the individual level, one of the many fallacies of composition in analysing the macro economy is just to simply transfer that to the macro level and think if everybody saves, there'd be more money. No, saving does not create money. Saving accumulates it in your individual account out of the money that exists, but it does not create the money in the first instance. Therefore, the aggregate cannot save, whereas the individual can. Once right. we've got that straight, right. a lot of things change. Okay, cool. Sort of get that. Okay, so look, <laughs> so let's so um, so in a- answer the question: which comes first, demand or supply? The answer is is, is clearly demand comes first. Yep. But there's a time lag as well, isn't there? And this is, I mean, this is, I know this is one of the other great failings of uh, of economics. So to say that, uh, okay, we're going to cut tax enormously, so there's going to be a lot more money in people's uh, bank accounts. Uh, therefore, they they've got more money that they're going to spend. They're going to save some of it as well, of course, because I'd argue p- part of the the reason we save is for security, not because we want money per se, but because we want to make sure that we've got enough money to last our life and, and live comfortably in our in our old age. And I'm sure mm. you know that's a big factor in all of it, rather than necessarily wanting to be as rich as, as Donald Trump. But that, mm. that aside, if, uh, if I've got more money sitting in my bank account and I can spend more, uh, that's not automatically going to create jobs, uh, because uh, the, uh, particularly within that country, because I uh, the, the things I want to buy might not exist. There might not be people producing it or producing enough of it, and so it you know it might create imports before it creates anything for the domestic economy. Well, that's true. Again, this is the issue about uh, where does the money end up going. Yeah. And if you try to stimulate spending in a national economy where there's a large amount of importing going on, then the stimulus might go across to imports more so than it goes to the domestic economy. And that's a constraint on the behaviour of governments in terms of creating money and and banks as well. But, of course, governments have got a responsibility about it. Banks don't. Yeah. Uh, so a huge, huge amount of the money being created, in, obviously, in, in, in Iceland by the when they had banks uh, generating enough debt that it was equivalent to 10 times the uh, GDP of the country, then a lot of that it went up being into massive imports by Iceland as well. So you, you do have these uh, interlinkages, uh, but they all start from the demand side. Where's the money coming from? And the answer is it comes from governments and banks. Yeah, it, it, it almost has to ha- has to come from overseas, doesn't it? At least initially. And maybe, maybe that's something you need to be aware of if you're going to say, well, let's... let's well, uh, no, let's, no, no, not overseas. It, it, it comes from non-market participants. This is the thing that people um, don't get their heads around because they, they think, you know, it's, they're still thinking in a barter sense about the economy because it's what economists themselves do, the mainstream. But the money itself in an economy is not generated by the participants in it. We don't create money. If we do, we go to jail for counterfeiting. Uh, the people who create the money are either banks, which are the essential part of the, of the economic system, but you can't make money in the same way that... Uh, banks don't make money in the same way that uh, uh, factories make output. Okay, they make, they make money through the social privilege of being allowed to credit our deposit accounts uh, when they when they uh, write a, a, a debt against us at the same time. 
uh, it's letting their double entry bookkeeping create money, which is the social privilege they have to cre- that enables them to make this stuff. Governments do it because they have the social privilege of being the government, and they can declare that this money is acceptable in paying taxes within this realm and acceptable in paying debts as well, and we then use it for that reason. So they're fundamentally not market participants, and even when you look at international trade, they're not. it's not domestic. If you have an export surplus, then when you present the dollars you've earned for selling your English product overseas, that goes to the central bank, and the central bank then credits your account and the reserve accounts of the bank you bank with, with English pounds. And that's another way to create English pounds. So it's all outside the actual economy of England. Right. But I mean, but if I have more cash and I want to buy stuff and the stuff is, uh, I mean, presumably right now, companies make enough to satisfy current demand. If you increase that demand, those factories have got to mm-hmm. either uh, tool up to in- increase or uh, new companies can emerge to try and grab some of those extra pounds that are in, that are in circulation. In the meantime, people have got to... You now, know, now, you, now, now you've tacked onto another topic, which we better raise at some point. What capacity is the normal level of capacity... Uh, that firms operate at. And the reality is, in a capitalist economy, for very good reason, firms operate with excess capacity. Yeah, okay. So they so can respond quickly. Yeah. It can respond very quickly. And uh, and for that reason, uh, it isn't a necessity that if we have a dramatic increase, increase in demand domestically, then bang, it'll have to come in through imports because we're working flat chat, which is, again, conventional economic theory. No, the reality is most firms have got 10 to 20% of spare capacity sitting there for very good competitive reasons. And when there's an increase in demand, they just, they just hire more workers if necessary. They certainly buy more inputs. Um, and there is a, a time lag in, in, in that those sorts of responses, but the industrial capacity is there in a well, capitalist economy. Okay, so uh, just finishing off then, just uh, looping this back to Donald Trump, because uh-huh. it sounds like he's got another Donald Trump idea that we quite like. The, uh, the, 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 the only downside on this, and we've, t- we've touched on this before, is that Donald Trump believes that uh, this extra, uh, extra demand is going to be enough to create enough new business that uh, they'll be able to, that'll create enough new jobs that's going to enable people, the, the Laffer curve, in other words, that we talked about, it's going to, it's going to uh, create enough demand there's going to be new jobs with new people paying tax and that uh, that new tax is going to cover the loss in taxes by dropping tax in the first place. Uh, no, no uh, it's, going to, it's going to cause a budget deficit, which, as I've said before, is a sensible thing for an economy to run depending upon the scale of its uh, international uh, trade book. And uh, America is a reserve of currency. doesn't even need to worry about that. So Donald's got that capacity there well and truly. Right. Whether he can convince his Republican comrades that or not is, a, is another question, isn't it, for another day. All right, Steve. Uh, which comes first? I love it when we have an answer. Which comes first, demand or supply? Demand is the answer. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Uh, <laughs> good talk. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, whether he can push ahead with that idea, of course, depends on whether he can get the U.S. debt ceiling raised. That could be a major gridlock for him this week. That's the Debunking Economics podcast once again. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll catch you again soon. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.